Hi guys, welcome to another edition of Radio 815, episode number 13. I'm your host, my name is Marcelo Inestroza, joined as always with my co-host Matt Crandall. And on this week, uh, on this edition of the show, we'll be talking about the back half of Alias Season 2. Today we'll be discussing episodes 13 through 21. So with all that pomp and circumstance out of the way... Matt, tell me what you liked about the back half of Alias Season 2. So, the back half kicks off with Episode 13, Phase 1, directed by J.J. Abrams, or, sorry, written by J.J. Abrams, directed by Jack Bender. And for me, this was the big Super Bowl episode where they wanted to broaden the horizon of Alias, get new viewers, and this is kind of like the quintessential everything that Alias does well happens in this episode. It starts it starts in amazing fashion with ACDC's Back in Black as Jennifer Garner comes out looking the hottest she has ever looked, wearing black lingerie um, on an airplane, and she does this slow, sexy walk as ACDC's blaring, and then she comes out and the guy goes, nah, try the red one. Cut to her doing the same walk, wearing a different lingerie before she kicks all those guys' butts. But then somebody comes out and shoots at what seems like Sydney, cut to black, alias, and then we go 24 hours or 48 hours earlier, which, of course, that starting with something and then doubling back is a J.J. Abrams and alias signature. And in this back half, there's three episodes that do it. Um, But phase one really does it in a memorable way. And this is where everything starts to change because Sloan is MIA. Rutger Hauer guest stars as the new head of SD6 who's been sent in by the Alliance to investigate what's going on. He discovers that Jack and Sydney are double agents. They discover a ton of information about the Alliance. And with Dixon's help, they verify some information so that they can actually take down all of the SD cells in one fell swoop. And by the end of this episode, SD6 and all of the Alliance are over. Sydney, Jack, everybody from SD6 has come over to the CIA, um, which is for a show that literally is only a year and a half old. It completely changed the format. The double agent stuff is gone. Um, and now they have gone legit. I think that is amazing. The action in this episode is so good. And everybody gets something to do, including Francie, who in a shocking twist at the end we see is murdered and has been replaced by a double, which is some sci-fi next level kind of JJ trickery that uh, he's pulling off. But I think the back half of this season is much more satisfying than the first. And everything just kicks off in huge fashion with phase one and the amazing scene between Sydney and Dixon when she tells him the truth and asks for his help is the emotional payoff for their relationship is huge. And Sydney and Vaughn finally kiss and confess their love for each other and the whole series just shifts in this new way and then in typical JJ fashion just when we think the good guys have won 
we find out that everything that happened in this episode was all a manipulation of the one, the only Arvin Sloan. I knew something big was going to happen because you were teasing it all last week. Yeah. But I was like, first of all, for JJ, for JJ to open up uh, episode 13 like he did with the beautiful Jennifer Gardner basically playing dress up to that Russian yeah. twig, you know, that, that mobster guy. I, I was like, okay. I'm feeling this, but it was kind of funny. He put it on a plane. The thing that I was was really surprised about and sort of shocked about in this episode is that when it's all revealed that my favorite least character in Alias history was behind this whole thing, that really irked me um, yeah. to the point of like, I cannot wait until you get yours. But an interesting point that was brought up or that was revealed in um later episodes in the back half is that sloan has been obsessed with this rimbaldi myth for the past 30 years Mm -hmm. and i really think that it's interesting that he justifies his actions everything that he's done he justifies it by finding a cure for his what we thought you know, for, for his deceased wife. I'm mm-hmm. like, okay, so you're justifying your horrible deeds like this right now, but how did you justify them to yourself before your wife got cancer? You know? Right. So I'm like, it 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 can't it, it can't work like that. Either either you're you're saying that you're justifying your reasons because of this, or you don't really care for national security. You don't care for you know, you don't care for the protection of America. What you care about is your own selfish reasons. So don't tell me you're trying to justify it because of your wife's illness. I, I right. thought that was a very, very interesting wrinkle that they decided to give Sloan's character in uh, the second half. And it did kind of make him a little bit endearing. Uh, mm-hmm. If only for a second. I, I don't want anyone <laughs> I, I don't want anyone thinking. Uh, who listens to the show on the regular, (laughs) (laughs) you know, on the regular that I'm team Sloan, but it did make me feel for him, especially those, those impactful scenes with his wife uh, in, in that episode where basically um, uh, Sloan's wife, you know, basically decides to stand up to him and say, listen, I want some explanations. Enough is enough. Mm-hmm. What in the world is going on here? And to the point where she gets tired of it and she goes to the CIA and speaks to Sydney about it, right? Yeah. And then, you know, Sydney has her put on a wire and and and, and tries to make her uh, uh, set up Sloan, right? To the you know you know to to the point where um, Sloan and her try and get away in a copter, and then. One of the biggest surprise, one of the one of the biggest surprises for me, is what happens um, shortly after that with Dixon, you know, mm-hmm. and the fact that um, his decision to do what he does uh, really affects the rest of his uh, uh, character um, uh, story story thread throughout yeah. the whole series, mm-hmm. and um, the 
other thing that I found really shocking and really disappointing um, is the betrayal uh, that Arena uh, laid on Jack and Sydney. I'm like, yeah. really? All this, all this crap that you were feeding us was bullshit from moment one. Are you telling me that everything you fed to me, I believed it and you still did it this way? I was like, you know, you know, fool me once, good on you. Fool me twice, good on you. Fool me again, you're 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 unredeemable at this point. So at this point, um, when Sydney shoots her mother again, yeah. uh, I, I, I won't shed a tear if she aims right this time and shoots her in the head. Um, because what she's done, you know, she can justify any way she wants. But I but but at this point, at this point, she is she is squarely on my shit list uh, for, for for the rest of her existence on the show. Also, I found it really interesting that in this ba- in this back half, they did something that you were calling for, Matt, in the first half. They really did a good job with flipping Marcy's car uh, with flipping. Marcy's character and giving a lot, uh, giving a lot of material for Dixon and Will in this mm. uh, in this second half, and I was really happy and I was really pleased to see that, especially because I wanted to hear your thoughts about uh, uh, what you thought about the way that they treated those specific characters in this second half, since you were so not pleased with the way that the writers were handling them in the first half. Yeah, I think that the supporting cast got a lot more to do in the back half, especially, you know, with Sydney's roommate being replaced by a double. So we got to see a different side of her, which was really nice. Um, as Will gets into the CIA and starts being an analyst, and by the end of this part of the season, he's been framed by the double. Um, and so he's in a lot of trouble, so he gets more to do. And Dixon gets like so much stuff because when he finds out, you know, from Sydney that he's been on the wrong team this whole time and he's so betrayed, there's those couple of episodes where he's really struggling with it. And we check in with him where he doesn't think that he can ever forgive Sydney and he's done with espionage. Um, and then we see him finally realize the position that Sydney was actually in when the tables are sort of turned for him. And Carl Lumley really does some nice acting in those moments where he realizes it wouldn't have been as easy and that Sydney actually has been carrying this heavy burden. And even if she does trust him and love him, she couldn't tell him, you know, as a friend, um, the truth, because it would put him in more danger and endanger her and her father. So I thought that was awesome where he comes to realize that. And then, of course, as the season unfolds, and he is the one who ends up taking out Emily. And then in retaliation, Sloan gets Dixon's wife murdered, which just feels like, you know, a lot of eye for an eye. Everybody's wife is getting murdered kind of stuff. Um, but it really shakes up his character and changes the dynamic. So I really like that. Um, and especially in that episode where Dixon feels like he has nothing left to lose Man, Carl Lumley got to do some really good acting, and that was one that started, and then it was like a five days previous, and we 
we caught up to the action and seeing how he got to that place. And then in the end where he, he still is, he hasn't flipped. He hasn't lost his mind. Um, and he says like, you know, I'm, I'm okay. It's, you guys don't have to worry about me. Um, was really nice. And as you were talking about arena's arc, super interesting because just when we thought we could trust her, she does betray them. And it is for a Rambaldi artifact. So, you know, this Rambaldi thing came back full steam ahead. Um, but then also Sydney gets that message through the earrings. Truth takes time. So there is still shades of doubt in our mind. Is Irina unredeemable or is there going to be something more? Is she ready to flip the strip, the script again, or is she in too deep with Sloan and, and the bad guys and Sark to ever to ever come back from that. Um, but I also, you know, the supporting characters got some good stuff, but they got some awesome guest stars in this season as well. Ethan Hawke kicked ass in that episode. Um, the, the double agent written by Kurtzman and Orsi where, you know, we aren't sure if, if he can be trusted if he's a double or not. Um, and it was fun to have Ethan Hawke playing kind of like a Jason Bourne type uh, alongside Sydney. That was really good. Then we get an episode uh, also written by Kurtzman and Orsi, and I think it was Kurtzman's directorial debut, a free agent that Christian Slater is the main guest star. And he's playing a guy from, you know, the NSA who's got this information, who's getting tortured. And I thought that was great. And then later the, the second last episode or whatever, or the third last, we get so many guest stars. Danny Trejo shows up, David Carradine, Kill Bill shows up, um, and Amanda Foreman finally makes her appearance on Alias. Megan is on it, and her and Marshall immediately have a spark. And Jonathan Banks, friggin' Mike Ehrmantraut from Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul, basically stepping in as the NSA equivalent of Terry O'Quinn, um, so having, you know, these heavy hitters alongside our cast really was awesome. I thought it just shows the quality of this show that such good people wanted to be on it. I was really I was really surprised and delighted um, is the word that, first of all, when he, when uh, Handsome Hawk showed up <laughs> in Double Asian, I was like, that's Handsome Hawk. I'm like, yeah. What? So I was like, like, like one of my favorite episodes was that um, episode yeah, Double Agent. Solid. I, I really, really enjoyed that show. Uh, in part because it was written by my guys, um, as you yep. mentioned. But the performance that uh, uh, Ethan gives in that episode is just great. Um, mm-hmm. For my money. And the thing I love about that episode is the way that it starts. I mean, you know, <clears throat> with uh, with that other agent of the CIA being tricked and then being wrapped up in the uh, in the in the in the C4 and then being uh, basically dropped at the French equivalent of the CIA. And yeah. then, you know, when she sings that creepy song, I'm like, when she starts singing Pop, Pop Goes the Weasel, I'm like, she's going to blow up. Yeah, you know it's coming. You know it's coming. So I thought I thought that was a brilliant conceit and a brilliant setup by Bob and Alex, and I just love uh, the the writing on that episode. 
the episode with Christian Slater, um, you you meant you mentioned that you thought it was uh, Alex's uh, dr- uh, directorial debut. It was actually. Um, yeah, I figured it was. I was I was very surprised because I I I didn't remember that he actually directed um, in Alias, but I was very surprised and I was very delighted by what he did um, in in this particular episode. One 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 sequence that I thought he directed awesomely and fairly and and uh, 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 very very well is the standoff in the bank with Sydney and Sloan. Mm-hmm. Um, there is this shot with Sydney pointing her pistol at Sloan and uh, the the pistol is in uh, the foreground. I mean, um, uh, the foreground and Sydney is out of focus in the background. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was a just, just, I just thought that was a ballsy way to, to, sh- to shoot it. Um, yeah. and that episode in particular made me very, very happy. Um, I don't know if you'll be able to guess why, Matt, but it made me very, very happy. And if you guessed why, if you guess why correctly, uh, then you're really on the way to knowing me right. <laughs> but, um, I'll, I'll give you a couple of seconds to think about it. It's, it's kind of hard to pick it out why I, I like it so much. Uh, I'm, I'm uh, not sure, man. You tell me. <laughs> all right. Well, the reasons why I like the the reason why I I, I like the episode so much is um, uh, it's directed by Alex, but Sloane has to wear a mask. For I was gonna say, tell me it's not Sloane's makeup. <laughs> no, no, I was, I was, I no, it's a, no, it's exactly that. I hate Sloane, yeah. but I love the use of the disguise. Mm-hmm. And when he rips it off in the back of the car, right? I'm like, yep. dude, that's totally mission. He no, ripped yeah. it off. Yeah. Right? I look, look, look. I understand if you don't like the makeup, but that's a total mission thing. And you have had you you had to know in the back of your head, he's gonna like that. Yeah. Um oh, for sure. But I but but I I thought this second half of uh alias season two was way more enjoyable to back up uh, one of your opening points because, like you mentioned, they pick up the Rambaldi thing at full speed. Uh, uh, Sloane is basically, you know, basically alone now, a man on a mission, and he has nothing to live for anymore. Right. Um, and, 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 you know, and the fact that he thought about leaving this Rambaldi quest behind... After his wife uh, basically gave him the ultimatum of if you don't stop chasing this this myth, I'm gonna leave you, and and and, yeah. and the fact that he was almost there, but that his wife didn't give him the option to do that. He was gonna do that, but because of what Emily did, he couldn't do it. So yeah. I, you know, I almost felt really bad for him in some aspects. Again. I don't want my I don't want our viewers to think that I'm on Team Sloan, <laughs> right. but there were there were instances in the second half that I really felt sympathy for Sloan and I felt kind of bad for Sloan. Also, one of the one of the one of the moments that I didn't understand and I was very confused about is when Sydney comes out to Dixon again um uh uh by the oil field. 
I I was really confused because I thought that Sydney had already confessed to Dixon, but the way that that scene played out, it seemed to me that Dixon had forgotten that conversation that they had in season one, or am I just having like this tremendous brain hemorrhage and I'm forgetting something here? No, you're not wrong. But in season one, basically, he said, "What is going on?" And you know, their their talk was, she said, like, "You have to trust me and just know." That what I'm doing is in your best interest and is not, I'm not going against the good guys. And they had that heart to heart. But she didn't explicitly tell him everything. Whereas in this one, she says, I'm a double agent. (laughs) You were right. But you've been working for the bad guys the entire time. And I need you to, to trust me because if you don't help me, then the bad guys are going to win. Um, So I think that was, it very much echoed that scene from the season one finale, but it was much more explicit in terms of you have been working for the bad guys and you've been duped this whole time. Whereas at season one, it was more like a, I can't tell you everything now, but just trust me that I am not bad, you know? Mm -hmm. Also, also a standout, performance in the second half um i said it in our review of the uh, of the first half uh um in our last episode but um star uh, sark continues yeah. to be a delightful sleazebag oh, if yeah. i do say so myself yeah you love to hate him and he's just like every time something he does something sneaky you're just like oh that son of a bitch but it's in a good it's in a good way. So I really liked that, you know, he got a lot more screen time because of his dealings with Sloan and Irina as everything starts to come to a head. And, um, you know, one thing Vaughn and Sydney finally, you know, confessed their their feelings for each other and they were together. And then they throw that wrench in um, during the back half where Vaughn is being investigated by Richard Lewis for a possible abuse of power. And, you know, Sydney, it throws some distrust into the mix, um, which was kind of interesting, but also they're spending an episode and a half on something when I know so many people have been double agents and so much backstabbing that we, Vaughn couldn't possibly have actually been bad. So it was like, okay, I'm willing to go along with this story, but I know that the payoff is going to be Vaughn vindicated. So I, I wasn't a huge fan of that, but like, I get why they did it to sort of cast some doubt and, you know, shake up the relationship without breaking them up completely um, to keep that side of the story interesting. But I also having Marshall get a love interest when uh, Amanda Foreman shows up was amazing. And the way that those two click was hilarious. And, uh, it's just good to see Marshall, you know, Dixon was shell shocked when he found out uh, about SD six. And then we cut to Marshall and he's just hanging out with the, the geeks at the CIA and they're talking about tech secrets and all the cool stuff Marshall did against them. And uh, that scene was amazing just to see, you know, he just rolls with the punches and he's just happy to be there no matter what. He doesn't even dwell on the fact that, you know, he was working against the good guys for so long. He's able to just compartmentalize it and move on. Although he did, there's one funny line where he's like, you know, talking about how he can simultaneously start weeping at any moment, but he's, he's getting over it. And I thought that was great. Cause, uh, Kevin Weissman kicks ass. And, um, 
Greg Grunberg was mostly absent, but he made a few memorable appearances, especially he got a couple of funny lines where, uh, you know, Sydney calls, <laughs> calls Weiss and she's like, have you seen Vaughn? I need to talk to Vaughn. And he's like, do you ever just call Vaughn and say, where's Weiss? I need to talk to Weiss. Like, am I just your conduit to Vaughn? And I thought that was great. Letting uh, Grunberg, you know, get a little bit of Sean isms sort of in there with that scene. To go back to your point about uh, Sydney being put up against Vaughn when Sydney is called in to basically get interrogated about uh, Agent Vaughn's uh, activities for the last couple months. I really didn't buy that for a second either mm-hmm. because I was like, Vaughn to this point has been pretty much of a Boy Scout to to, right. to to go off of his call sign. And like he hasn't been one to one to uh betray Sydney, if at all. And I think that it would have been really bad if the writers came out for some nefarious reason for Vaughn to portray Sydney, because I think at that point Sydney would have broke like a twig because um, first having Sloan do a tour and then uh, which led to uh, the loss of Danny, which I'll get to in a second. Um, I just want to bring up one little thing about him here. Yeah. And I, I think that she would have been broken forever. And, if Vaughn portrayed her for whatever reason. And it was kind of nice knowing that Vaughn took it upon himself to prove the innocence of the woman who killed his father. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't have done that personally. I would have thrown, I would have wanted to throw her down a pit somewhere <laughs> yeah. and just, and just let her rot there for all time. Uh, right. But that's just me. I'm very vengeful. Uh, for those people that do me wrong. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so I, I thought that was like a nice little scene. I thought that was a nice little twig, but uh, a nice little twist, but it didn't really hit with me. Like, like it, like it didn't hit with you. I, th- I thought it was disposable. I was like, whatever. Cause yeah, um, if they had done it, it would have been a twist too many. Like they would have been overplaying their, you know, anything can happen on this show unexpectedly hand. So I, I think we never really thought that it was possible that Vaughn was betraying everyone behind their back. Right. Now, um, to go back to the point I was going to make about Danny for a second. When Sydney and Vaughn go into that go into that full tilt of them being romantically involved and we see kissing and I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, I like you guys, but I'm not. I'm, but I'm like, I'm like, I know I'm gonna have to put up with this for five years, but I'm not feeling it right now. Uh, can you, can you just not? Can you hit pause? <laughs> yeah, I'm like, yeah, um, um, that that made me think of something else. The way that Sydney's and Vaughn's relationship takes off in the second half, I don't think that she's ever talked once about. Her, I don't think she's talked once about Danny. Uh, um, about she's never brought up Danny to Vaughn, not once, right? Right, right. And I'm like, look, I know the guy was here for like two seconds, and he was he was kind of a kind of a MacGuffin. Yeah. Um, but I'm like, shouldn't you just bring him up once? Because 
in in alias time frame he's been dead for a year and it one year passes by and you and you shy look i'm i'm gonna sound cool but one year passes by and you shack up with this guy <laughs> right i'm like yeah it, it is true yeah but i was like shouldn't it just take a little longer just give me just give me a little bit more rope and then i could have I, it's not that I don't buy the Sydney and Vaughn relationship. I, well, damn it. I'm having a little trouble right now. I'm not going to say I don't buy it, but I'm saying I'm having a little trouble. I don't know how you feel about this map, but I'm having a little trouble. And the trouble that I'm having here is that I don't see Sydney displaying remorse for what happened to Danny for one split second while she's with Vaughn. If she had... One conversation talking about Danny with Vaughn, I would have I would have said, fine, I'm happy, go and do what you want now. But since she didn't do that, I was like, so what about that? So so what about the guy that you were gonna spend the rest of your life with? The guy that you almost killed Sloan for. Now she she didn't she her and Vaughn never had that talk, but she did kind of have that talk with Rutger Hauer in that one episode where he comes in and before it's revealed that she's a double agent and he says like, how can you still work here? Because aren't we the ones who killed your fiance? And then she says, you know, well, I killed him because I was the one who broke the rules and, and told the stuff. And you can see like the, the pain and the anguish sort of on her face. So I feel like they thought, you know, we can't dwell on it forever. <laughs> and especially in TV land, you know, remember at the time and still whenever like a show is really popular, people are always shipping for like the leads to get together. So I'm sure there was pressure from outside sources for the leads to get together. And if she kept doting on her dead ex-fiance, it would just be a real buzzkill for everybody. The most realistic thing, because, yeah, in real life, I think that there would be a lot more baggage and, and emotions still to deal with. But I think they're glossing over it just for the sake of, you know, the entertainment factor. No, I no, I I totally understand that, and that's totally valid. But just for me right now, yeah, it, it not, kills that that buzz for you. Yeah, I'm not. Look and look, and you know me, Matt. Um, and you know, you know that I'm a Dawson Joy fan, so I love myself <laughs> a good romantic relationship. You know I do. Yeah, but. I'm not like I'm not I'm not feeling it and I and I think that I'm going to just have to enjoy the show enjoy the show from the prism of them going on missions together and not their romantic entanglements because that doesn't that doesn't interest me as is as shocking as that uh, sounds from a guy whose favorite show is Dawson's Creek and that show is all about relationships um and, uh, you know there's still there you might get your wish in some ways very soon. We'll, we'll see how, how things shake out as we approach uh, the end of season two, start of season three. All right. Well, uh, it looks like, looks like you have a little secret for me, Matt, but you want to tell me and I, and I, and I like the fact that you're not telling me here, but that, that makes me that much more interested to see uh, what we have coming up to pipe here. So with all that, so with all that being said, um, just to do a quick recap, I really, really enjoyed this uh, second half, and I almost wanted to watch the uh, 
the uh, season finale, but I, I, I purposely didn't do that to actually yep. wait until we jumped on here next week to talk about that. But with all that being said, I thought that uh, this second half was great. It was wonderful, full of action, great writing, great guest stars, and some great twists with the with the Rimbaldi um, uh, myth mythos being uh, fully fully uh, spread out between uh, between various episodes in the uh, second half of the season. And mm-hmm. I would give the second half of the season. I would give it. An eight. Uh, with that being said, what would you give the second half of yeah, the season, I say, Matt? I would say eight or 8.5. This is basically Alias in its prime where, you know, a lot of the things it does best, they finally had settled into the groove and they were just letting us roll with the punches of the twists and turns, the awesome action, and the great character work. So I thought, you know, this last half of season two is everything I wanted where the mythology is building, the action is building, but also the characters and the heart is still there. Lots of those great signature JJ mystery boxes and a few surprises along the way. So I really love uh, the second half of season two. All right, guys. So with all that being said, I think uh, that'll do it uh, for this edition of Radio 815. Um, If you want to chat with me, or if you want to, uh, uh, you know, send us a line and talk to us about the show or tell us how much we suck, uh, you can reach us on Twitter by using the hashtag uh, Radio815 if you want to send us any questions. If we ever get anything on there, as my colleague uh, uh, Matt said last week, we'll read it out on the air and we'll respond to you, even if you send us hate mail. Uh, <laughs> and if Matt doesn't want to read the hate mail, I will. Um, <laughs> there you go. Good for you. You're braver than me. <laughs> so, um, um, on the other hand, if you just want to talk to me and tell me how much I suck, you can reach out to me on Twitter. I'm at Creek Fanatic. On that same note, if the good people and the more smarter intelligent fans that we may have want to talk to you, Matt, about Alias or anything else, where can they reach you? Yeah, Twitter's the best spot at Matt Crandall, but don't come at me with hate mail because I will just, uh, mute you (laughs) all right guys so with all that being said um as i say often we'll talk back soon